Okay, everyone. Thank you for joining. Welcome, welcome to our class. Okay. So first of all, I'd like to, today's class was dedicated by Mrs. Rachel Krintzman. And this is an honor, I think, of her mother, memory of her mother. Adina Edel Bas Esther Etel, whose yard site was yesterday, Bay's Tavis. This year is usually Monday night, but I wasn't feeling uh, too well last night, so I pushed it off to today. I'm still not uh, there, so I should. Have, I hope I get a full, complete recovery quickly. Still a little cold, but that kind of knocks you off. So may her mother's neshama have a very great aliyah, and may she channel a lot of blessings to her for all that she needs and all that you want in the spiritual and in the material world. Much blessings to you and your family. Thank you for the dedication. Another dedication was by Tzvi Schwartz, Dr. Tzvi Schwartz. And this is in memory of Avram Chaim Alter ben Tzvi Eli Halevi and Fege Bas Avram Yitzchak. And Yaakov ben Luisa and Miriam Basvega. Whatever it is that you intended with these people, I just see the names, should be Luzchus, whatever Luzchus is necessary for them. Um, thank you so much. Much bracha and mazel to you and to your mishpach and all that you need and all that you want. Thank you. So those who have been paying attention to the YouTube, uh, about an hour and a half ago, I gave a short class, about 35 minutes, in um, <clears throat> it's not my my Monday night read my two it's, it's a Tuesday class that I give in the other shul in Levi Yitzchak and um, usually that class is dedicated it's a Mashiach shir and this class is a Parsha class but by me Parsha and Mashiach are all one everything's Mashiach these days how can you not be excited about Mashiach but usually they're not necessarily the same subject today it is and really I'm going to repeat what I said there but I'm going to add much more over there it was concentrated it was quick. And today, and over here, we're going to try to, and this class is going to be an unfinished class today. Um, I hope to uh, continue part two next week. Maybe it'll even take three weeks to really go through this amazing subject. Clarity of it is just really, really phenomenal. So here we go. It's related to this parsha and next week's parsha. Um, the parsha this week is parsha's Vayigash. In the parsha's Vayigash, we learn about the unification of a family that was split and was split and broken. The Jewish family came apart with this internal strife and comp competition that there was, jealousy, envy, turned to animosity, hatred, and even an act of unspeakable cruelty where the brothers sold their brother into slavery, initially wanted to kill him. Um, but then God had his ways, which was this was all divinely orchestrated to bring the Jewish people into the first exile. And it had to be Dafka, it had to be through Yosef. We discussed it in many classes in the past that Yosef actually saved the Jewish people. So when the tribes sold their brother Yosef into slavery, they actually did, they were, they were an extension of the divine plan. Their intentions were sinful. They had to do tshuva for that, but... The act itself was the God working through them, not only to, to bring the Jewish people into the exile, but to actually enable the redemption. Because by Yosef being the trailblazer into the exile, he paved the road and he 
he first of all prepared it physically for the Jewish people for the first hundred and um, so years that they were in that exile. They lived they lived as honorary citizens. The the anti-Semitism and the persecution and its enslavement started only at the end of the exile. So at least at the at the beginning, it was it was very very um, beautiful for the Jewish people in Egypt. Um, that that's on the one hand. And second, he he prepared the Jew, he prepared the land of Egypt mentally, spiritually for the Jewish people, because he weakened the Klippa that were there by him fighting the Eight Sahara there in the house of Potiphar, by him overcoming all the challenges, he enormously weakened the Klippa, the unholy. And when the Jewish people went to Egypt, it was much easier for them to extract the sparks, to elevate, to remain loyal to their to their true core beliefs, to remain. Um, um, clean, they didn't become corrupt with all the most of the uh, immorality of Egypt, and so on and so forth. So without Yosef, they would never have survived. But but the family was still broken. So this week in the parsha, we finally read about the reunion. The whole the name of the parsha is Vayigash. Vayigash means he approach, and we're talking about the the approach and the unification of Yehuda and Yosef, which really meant the reconciliation of all the brothers. Um, now, this is not just a union between two people. It's a cosmic union. It's a union of, it's the ultimate unification of energies that um, are inherently, or not inherently, but as they manifest within the world, they are separate and sometimes in competition and sometimes in conflict with each other, two forces good forces, forces of holiness, but yet each one is vying for supremacy because in each one there is this unique quality. Um, and yet for the messianic age to prevail, these two energies need to come together in unification. And that's the prophecy that is going to happen in the end of days. Just like we know that the story of our forefathers and the story, the whole book of Genesis, the whole book of Bereshus, is really a microcosm for the macro, for the all of history. It's like a little, it's history in a nutshell. So really the story of Yehuda and Yosef coming together is really a messianic moment. Just like we discussed that Esau and Yaakov joining forces is a messianic moment. It's already the rectification of that the saviors will go up on Mount Zion to judge, and which means to rectify the world of Esau. Um, Yaakov accomplished that way back then, but now it's going to take thousands of years for that to happen, which we are going to be witnessing, and we're already, already witnessing this rectification. Um, so just like it is with Jew and Gentile, it is also to bring together the brokenness that is within the Jewish people itself. There is a great divide in Israel, which has been plaguing the Jewish people already for thousands of years. And it goes through all of history, as I mentioned in the previous class, for those of you who listened, that this is really a rift and a division that has been going back to the first Jewish couple getting married, Yaakov. Um, Yaakov's the second Jewish couple, but as the first Jewish family being established, there was already from the very beginning, there was already a quarrel. Quarreling has always been part of the Jewish experience. There's always the two shuls, the shul that you daven and the shul that you don't daven in, right? like the guy who was on the island, famous joke. It's not such a good joke, but what can I tell you? It is a joke, and it sadly says a lot about the guy living on the island, and he had two shuls over there, and he, asked, he was alone on the island. That's the one he says, that's the one I don't doubt. So a Jew always has to have it for something that he's fighting. Um, so there's always been a fight, a, a split amongst the Jewish people. 
And this split begins with the family of Yaakov, and it, it, its original, original split is between Rachel and, and Leah. Each one is competing over Yaakov's attention. Each one wants to be the primary, the primary uh, wife. And this is not a, they're not, they're not selfish. They're not children. These are super souls. They're conduits for the, for, for the divine. We know that they represent the Bina and Malchus. This is not a, but yet, and as much, yet these are various different facets of, of godly, of godliness. And each one sees the importance of what, what of what it is all about and is in conflict with the other. Later, it translates into the children. Um, that Yosef is by Yaakov, since he loved Rachel, as it says already in the beginning, he loved Rachel. So in the children, he also, you know, pays special attention to Yosef. He loves Yosef. We call Banoff from all of his children. And um, he treats him different. And that evokes the jealousy of the brothers. It wasn't just a mere silly jealousy. It was very deep, rooted in their souls. It was because um, we know that um, they already knew in their DNA that the true king of Israel is, is Judah, is Yehuda. Yehuda is the Melech. And you see later in the blessings of Yaakov, next week in the parasha, that he blesses Yehuda with kingship. He's the lion. He's the fiercest, the king of the jungle. He's the king. And we know that the Davidic dynasty and Mashiach and all that, it comes from Yehuda. So Yehuda is the ultimate king. That's why it was so, they were so uncomfortable with Yosef having dreams of monarchy, of kingship. It, was, it went against the grain of what they knew in their core, especially to Yehuda. And Yehuda's brothers were like part of his empire. So that's what caused this great fight to the point that they wanted to kill Yosef. That's how misplaced uh, his, his kingship, his, his desire, his aspirations for leadership were so misplaced that they... They felt it was a a a, a merida b'malchus. It was a a a uh, equal to treason and the king. But we know that um, there are two empires amongst the Jewish people. The, the force of kingship, even though yes, the ultimate kingship is Yehuda, but there is also another force of another king amongst the Jewish people, and that belongs to Yosef. Yosef was a king because he truly is a king. And we find that throughout history, that there was a constant fluctuation between the kings of Judah and the kings of the children of Rachel and the children of Leah are competing for kingship. The first king of Israel comes from the children of Rachel, of Rachel. And that is Sholamelech, King Saul. He's from Binyamin. And uh, he's, the, he's the first king. But then the kingdom is ripped away from him and given to King David. David the Melech becomes the Melech. But it only lasts for two generations. David and Shlomo. And when it comes to the third generation, Rechavam, the grandson, the kingdom is split into two. And Yeravam ben Avot, who is a grandson of Ephraim, from the descendants of Yosef, makes a breakaway. And not only does he break away, but he gets the majority of the tribes to join him. Ten out of the tribes join him. And Yehud is only left with, with Binyamin. That, that's also interesting. And from all the, from all the tribes, Binyamin, who is a a really from the other side, he's from Rachel's children, goes with Yehuda, and this remains loyal to the Davidic dynasty. But so it remains for a couple of hundred years. Throughout the entire reign of the first temple, there is two kingdoms. And finally, uh, close to the end, the ten tribes are, are destroyed, and there's the Sancherev comes and he 
drives them out of the land of Israel, and they're never heard of again. Where they are is a mystery. Either they've assimilated or they're somewhere still practicing certain tenets of Judaism and so on and so forth. They're meant to come back in the Messianic age. During the entire time of the Babylonian exile, and then later the Second Temple era, and then later the Judaism as we know it continuing on till today, it's all the only the kingdom of Yehuda and it's and, and Benjamin and Levi. That basically is a few mixed other tribes, individuals mixed in and must have created children and offspring, but it's it's a minority. It's mainly Yehuda and Binyamin for the rest of Jewish history. But we know that's the grand prophecy that just like an hour parish, Yehuda and Yosef reconcile and come back together again. And there's this love again in the family, this wholesomeness again in the family. So in this week's Torah, the Torah portion that we read in the end, it talks about this reconciliation. And it brings a nevuah from Ezekiel, from Yechezkel, where it says like this, that, let me read it to you. God tells Yechezkel Anavi, oops, yeah, here it is. God spoke to him. Now man, son of man, take a, a piece of wood, a branch, and write on it and to the children of Israel. And take another branch, and write on it on Yosef. That's the branch of Ephraim. So one branch is representing Yehuda. The other branch is is representing Ephraim. As remember, we said Ephraim now contains within, within himself all the ten tribes. And take these two sticks and hold them together. And not only should you bring them together, but they will merge, I guess miraculously. They will become to one tree, one, 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 uh, one piece of wood. They will become unified. When, the, when your members, when the, your, your people will say to you, what are you doing with the sticks? What, is this, what does this mean? Speak unto them. So says God. I am taking the branch of Yosef that is in the hand of Ephraim. Along with him are coming all the tribes, all the other nine tribes. And to them I will give the branch of Yehuda. We will finally have peace and harmony amongst the Jewish people. They will be one in my hand. The Jewish kingdom will finally be unified. Um, and he goes on to say, God says, I will gather you from the exiles. I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. I will make them into one land, one nation in the land. On the mountains of Israel. And we'll finally have one king. Who will be the king then? Lamelech will be a king. We will not be any more two empires. No, sorry, we won't be any more two nations. We won't be divided ever again into two kingdoms. Okay, I'm skipping a little bit. But my servant David will be the king, which was referring to Mashiach, the descendant of David. So in the end, the kingdom will go back to Yehuda. But in a way where Yosef won't feel 
that they have been stripped, Yosef won't feel uh, cheated. Yosef will happily and joyfully relinquish his, his kingdom and melt himself into Yehuda. One shepherd will be for both of them, for all of them. Okay? That's the prophecy. So on the one hand, it seems like a, just a beautiful prophecy about peace and harmony in the end of days. I mentioned in my class, I've said earlier, many of the Jewish, ideologically, not physically necessarily grandchildren, but ideologically, we can explain many of the divisions that there are even in the current Jewish street. Forget about the 10 tribes, which wherever they are, are going to come back and unify with the Jewish people. But in addition to that, within even the Jewish mainstream Jewish people of today, there are divisions, and God will bring it together again. If one studies a little bit the mysticism and the inner characteristics of Yosef and Yehuda and what they represent, I think it could be seen as the division and separation between the Sephardic and the Ashkenazic Jews, representing various different types of people, many characteristics. I'm not going to get into that now because I don't, right now I haven't thought about it, but I remember in the past years we've, I've, I've gone into it a little bit more. The, the, where you have the characteristics of Yosef, characteristics of Yehuda in, in the differences of these. It's not only living in different countries, different menhagim, different ways, different approaches. Definitely the great divide that has plagued the Jewish people in the last 200 years between the Hasidic world and the non-Hasidic world, which was causing a lot of animosity, hatred, even war back in uh, 200 years ago, split the Jewish community big time. And then, thank God, you know, became less, but uh, still has its, its, its traces left in, in certain uh, attitudes. So this division can also be seen as a difference between Yehuda and Yosef. A different approach. These are different modes of divine service that we have discussed in earlier classes, in earlier years. You can listen to the Vayigash classes. Uh, there'll be quite a lot over there in my earlier classes on this week's parsha that discuss the subject. But today I want to talk about it this week and the next week is another idea over here. And that is that this idea of the unification between Yehuda and Yosef is not just a unification regarding to the Jewish people as a whole and bringing peace and harmony in the Jewish people, but it's actually, actually in other words, during the time of exile, which the time of exile is a time of divine concealment. Divine concealment, God is wholesome. God is unity. God is oneness. God is one. So when God is present, everything is unified. With the departure of Hashem's revealed presence, you feel separation, isolation, disconnect, and fragmentation. So that comes as a result of God's withdrawal. Or we might say the opposite. When we become fragmented, God withdraws. Whichever way it works. And both are true. So, um, so obviously, Messianic time is a time of unification. Unity in the entire world and definitely unity in God's people. Um, so then it's just like, the idea is not the unification, the idea is not to be divided anymore. But now, but there's another idea over here, and that is that the Moshiach world, Moshiach's empire, the Moshiach godly force that's gonna be present in the world comes about as a blending of two forces. In other words, bringing Mashiach takes the work of, jo of, of Yosef Jews and Yehuda Jews. 
of the Yosef Tzadikim and the Yehuda Tzadikim. And only as these two forms and these two energies and these spiritual lights come together do we have Mashiach. Now this idea that Mashiach requires a unification of these two forces, not just to undo the exile, but as a positive force of the redemption, is hinted to in the fact that even in Mashiach itself, we know the concept of two Mashiachs. That Mashiach, we used to call him Mashiach the Redeemer, and we think of him as one king, but yet there is a concept in the teachings of our sages, it's a tradition that we have, that not, there's not, there isn't only one Mashiach, but there are two Mashiachs. There is Mashiach ben David, Mashiach the son of David, and then there is Mashiach ben Yosef. Mashiach that is the son of Yosef doesn't mean the son of Yosef, just like Mashiach ben David doesn't mean the son of David. It means a descendant of David. And therefore he carries the DNA of King David from the tribe of, of Yehuda. Um, Mashiach ben Yosef means, or sometimes referred to as Mashiach ben Ephraim, means a Mashiach who is, has, carries the bloodline of, of Yosef. And the coming about of Mashiach comes about through the work of these two Mashiachim. They both make their contribution. Now the final triumphant Mashiach is Mashiach ben David. That's why we find that in the Torah, when it speaks about unification, so again, it's not just the people that are fighting, it's actually the Mashiachs themselves, the anointed, the people that bring the Giyula, the main forces of the redemption are two people who come together and, and they each one play their role. But the Mashiach ben David is, is ultimately the, the final ruler. In a sense, that would mean that Mashiach ben um, um, Yosef is an introduction or a, a one who paves the way for Mashiach ben David. Now, this concept and this idea is not explicitly stated anywhere in Scripture. There is many allusions in Scripture to it, in which the rabbis found many remazim, what we call a remez. A remez means hints. But there isn't an explicit statement in Chumash. It does speak about a redeemer, the redeemer of, of, of Yehuda. The Mashiach is discussed in the, the parsha, particularly primarily in parshas of Balak, and so on and so forth, which is all speaking about Mashiach Tzadkenu, um, and also in the blessings next week of Shevet Yehuda, Ad uh, Shiloh, that the, the, the rulership will always be in the hand, the reins of, of kingship, the scepter stick, uh, the rulership will always be in the hands of Yehuda, Ad um, Shiloh, until Shiloh will come, Shiloh is Mashiach. So there are, explicit statements about Moshiach and about King David in the Torah. And definitely in the Navi, in, in scripture outside of the five books of Torah, in Isaiah, there's entire chapters talking about the Messiah, talking about Moshiach. The, the, the shoot will come forth from the children of Yishai, who's the, we spoke about him a few weeks ago in the class, the, the, the and uh, whatever, and how he will, how he will be the, the, uh, the ultimate ruler. But you don't have any explicit statements about Mashiach ben Dab, Mashiach ben Yosef. But again, I said it's easy to do. For instance, when it says in the Pasuk, um, a star will shoot forth from Jacob. The come shavit and a ruler will rise from Israel. 
the Orachayim HaKadosh. So again, this is, Orachayim is a great Sephardic Kabbalist rabbi who lived about 250, 300 years ago. So he's a serious, he's a serious commentator, very serious, but he's still not the sages of the Mishnah of 2,000 years ago. So he reads, for instance, that Darach uh, Koichav, which represents spectacular godly powers, like a star in the sky, that's Moshiach ben Dov. That's completely supernatural. And that's when the ultimate Messiah, Mashiach, will be in the world, will be like very, very, very dynamic. No one can oppose it. No one can fight it. The Kamshavit Mi Yisrael is more of a natural, a, 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 a ruling staff will rise from Israel is a more of a natural um, um, leadership, a procession, a, 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 a ruler, a force, um, a, 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 a dynamic force a dynamic force of kingship, of a ruler. That's exciting. A dynamic force of 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 a of a of a ruler of a king that is um, that is going to rise according to the Erechaim. You can look it up in Parshas Balak. That's referring to Mashiach ben Yosef. So here you have, you're saying, so you have certain um, hints to it, but nothing explicit. Nothing explicit. Um, the, oh, the Zohar, I'm going to share with you soon. The Zohar says, Lo Yasir Shevet Yehuda. That the ruling force, the staff, Lo Yasir Shevet Yehuda. The ruling force will not depart from the tribe of Judah, of Yehuda. So the Zohar says, that's Moshiach ben David. Well, Mechaikik, Mechaikik means a, a lawgiver will never go away from, the, from his feet. That's Moshiach ben Yosef. So again, you have, and again, in the writings of our sages, you have many interpretations to interpret certain scripture and psukim as Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David, but not explicit. What do we know about this Mashiach ben Yosef character? What do we know about it? What's his role? What do we know? So according to our tradition, Mashiach ben Yosef is a, a great warrior. And in the early days, or at the latter days of the exile, in order to bring about the end of the exile, which would involve defeating the enemies of God, waging war, taking down that which is unholy and ungodly in this world. And according to when you read just plain Midrash, without the deeper interpretation of uh, esotericism, if you're just reading you know, plain Midrashic interpretation without anything else, we're talking about physical battles. We're talking about major wars with a lot of bloodshed. And Moshiach ben Yosef is the one who leads the Jewish people in these battles. So he's a very, very, very powerful warrior. And he gains the following of the Jewish people and he gains the, lo the love and the trust of the Jewish people. But he falls in battle. He's defeated. He's defeated by a creature, by a being called Armilos. Armilos seems to be this major bad guy, 
he's the he's the he's the head of the uh, armies of Gog and Magog. He's 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 this this this, this real vicious, uh, deep, uh, dark dark uh, dark force, and he defeats Mashiach Ben Yosef and he kills him. And only after Mashiach Ben Yosef kills him, the Jewish people are devastated and they're lost and they're 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 a total wreck and a total mess. Is when Mashiach Ben Yosef, Mashiach Ben David, then emerges, and Mashiach Ben David brings about and completes the redemption, and no one can no one can stand up to him. That's the kind of the legend story that we have in sages in the sages about Mashiach. And this has been a tradition passed down for thousands of years in Jewish tradition that there is a Mashiach Ben Yosef. And again, in Chumash we have nothing about it. In Navi we have nothing explicit about it, but we do have many. Statements of Chazal on it. Now, one of them I will share with you is the Gemara Masech Sukkah. Okay, it's a passage in the Talmud tract of Masech Sukkah, Dafnun Beis, page 52. The Gemara over there is talking about the idea that we're supposed to keep men and women separated when we do, when we do, um, you know, events that, uh, especially if they're festive events, which could cause and people mingle, and people drink, and people take a little alcohol, and so on and so forth. And therefore, in order to make sure that there is, uh, we keep the the elements of tzniyos and, and and modesty, and so on and so forth. And so, Mar is talking about the Beis Hamikdash. In Masech the Sukkah, it's talking about the festivities in the in the temple during Simcha's Beis Hasho Eva, which is during the libation of water, which I know we Sukkot was the, the happiest time of the temple. So the, the Mishnah says that they built. Balconies and the women were on the uh, on the upstairs balconies on the top, and the men were dancing downstairs. And the Gemara has a problem. How can you do that? That seems to be adding to the structure. The structure is supposed to be exact structure. How can you do that? So the Gemara says, well, it was necessary. There was no way to go without it, because you can't have the mingling because the mingling would bring lead to sin. And the Gemara proves it that you need to do that. And the Gemara brings from a pasuk in Zechariah. Zechariah. Zechariah in, in Perak Yud Beis, chapter 12, talks about, again, I didn't, I, I can't tell you that I've read the whole thing, that I know the context. I'm just, I'm just reading the context as the Gemara plucks this Pasuk out. So I'm not the, uh, the um, I'm not coming to you with deep knowledge of this whole thing, of this particular, where this fits in over here. It says over here, one of the prophecies about the end time. David, I will pour out, God says, on the house of David, while Yoshe Yerushalayim and on the Jerusalem lights, on those who live in Jerusalem, the Ruachin, a spirit of grace, the Sachanunim, I think it means in compassion, the and they will look at who they stabbed, thinking about it. In other words, you're seeing to this week, we even last week, we saw two stabbings. Jews are viciously, viciously being stabbed randomly by whoever wants to, you know, take a knife and plunge him into. And and sadly, they're being applauded by um, many of the world media. Kind of justifies it. Justifies it because are accusing uh, we, well, this is our land, and it's always been our land, and we've been there for thousands of years as being occupiers of our own backyard, of our own land. And as a result of that, uh, where uh, the blood of the Jewish people is free to spill. Any case, things will change. Once Mashiach will be here, suddenly everything will change. And there will be such a horror on of if they, it's interesting because I noticed that now, and they will look at those that they have the karo. So Rashi says it's referring to the nations will do some serious soul searching 
on all those that they have stabbed throughout the entire exile. All Jews that were murdered and killed, whether during the Holocaust, whether during the Inquisition, the Crusaders, during the Roman um, 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 conquest, and all the time, including the Antifadis. And they will look at all of this, and all those that will give a to Allah. And they will and they will mourn. They will suddenly mourn on the loss of every Jew that they killed. In other words, the stock of the Jewish people will rise so high. The value of Israel will go up so high that there will be such a deep pain at all the anti-Semitism that was directed to the Jewish people and all the suffering that Israel has had. Interesting puzzle. The soft to all of Kemispan, and they will eulogize him like the eulogy al-hayachid on a singular person. Okay, so this is, so according to Rashi in the simple interpretation, this is talking about stam, this is talking about the general pain on the infliction that was been done to the Jewish people throughout the exile. However, the Talmud says, brings this puzzle, and the Talmud says, oh, and the puzzle says, wait, that during this misbite, what does it say? Hold on. Uh, they will cry. The the eulogy, the crying, the weeping, and all that is going to be family by family. The family of David alone. And their wives on their own. Which means, it clearly states that the women will, will be doing their own thing and the men will do their own. That's what it says. So the Talmud says... If this is talking about in the days of Mashiach, we're two things. Number one, we're not talking about a frivolous occasion. We're talking about a funeral. So generally, a funeral is not a place where sin, where people are looking for whatever. Uh, you know, that's not where people are not drinking. People are more toned down. They're subdued. It's not generally the place where if people are going to behave in a frivolous manner, in a non-kosher way, it's not going to happen by a funeral. It's the least likely of places. Secondly, we're dealing in the time when there's no Meyat Sahara. Even inclination is gone. Because then there won't be in the time of Mashiach. Right? So the Talmud says, if in that time, they're still going to keep the modesty of the men separately and the women separately, how much more so in our days when there's still Yat Sahara. And during a time of festivities, where things can get out of hand. That's what the Gemara proves. But then the Gemara asks the question, um, who is this... Uh, uh, this 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 eulogy that it's suddenly discussing over here. Whose eulogy is this? Who's everybody crying for? Maya vidite. What's this eulogy all about? So Reb Doisa and Rabbanon have an argument. One says, "This is Mashiach ben Yosef who was killed. This is the funeral of Mashiach ben Yosef." Because we know Mashiach ben Yosef, we have a tradition that he's, he dies. So because he dies, there's going to be this great funeral. This is a surprise. There's another opinion that says, that's why you never, the sages can, they're always can pull something out of their sleeves, the least expect. Who are we going to be weeping for by their funeral? Oh, Yetzirah and Herak. Everybody's going to be weeping because the evil inclination was killed. <laughs> that's the funeral. This is going to be the funeral of the Yetzirah. We finally killed the Satan. We finally killed the Eight Sahara. So by his Levaya, everybody's going to be mourning. So the Gemara obviously asks, Bishlein and Mashiach ben Yosef, he's a lovely guy. 
We understand why he's crying, why we're so sad that he died. But we should we should pop the champagne bottle. We finally got rid of him. Think how much we like our Yetzahara. Imagine they tell us tomorrow we won't have a desire for sin anymore. Forget it. You won't have any. You can't even even if you want to, you won't even find it within. You say, "Oh my, it's like a piece of me getting lost." I don't want that. I like my sinfulness. Right? Sometimes we like our sinfulness. We bang him up a little Yom Kippur, and then a little after Yom Kippur, we right away bandage him and soothe him and take him immediately to the uh, you know to the spa <laughs> to heal the Yetzahara. But yet we say no. Am I bochin? So the Gemara says. That both the tzaddikim are going to cry and the wicked are going to cry <laughs> when Mashiach comes. Both of them are going to be upset at the killing of the of the this of the of the of the uh, elimination of the Yitzhar. because by the tzaddikim, God, the, the Yitzhar is going to appear like this massive mountain, and they they're going to cry because they're going to be awed by how super big this Yitzhar was and how amazingly they were able to defeat it. So they're going to be so moved by the fact that this was such an enormous mountain and they were able to conquer. To the wicked, the Yetzirah is going to appear as the tiniest little fly. And they're going to feel so ridiculously insane that they couldn't think that they didn't have the power to overcome it, that it ruled over them their whole life. Isn't that amazing? To the tzaddikim who won the Yetzirah, and the answer is, one of the explanations is to the Yetzirah, for the Tzaddikim, the Yetzirah is really big because each time he does, each time they 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 defeat the Yetzirah because they don't want to win the Yetzirah, the Yetzirah has to come back with more power. So each time he goes back to the gym, he works out, builds some more muscle and comes back as a more heavyweight champion. He keeps on fighting. So he keeps on building muscle. He keeps on, the the the, 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 the of the Tzaddikim is like super robust because Yes, small Yetzirah doesn't work. That's why it says the bigger the tzaddik is, the bigger the person is, the bigger the Yetzirah. But the wicked, every time the Yetzirah comes, he beats them so he can let his guard down. He, each time he lessens, he lessens, he lessens. He's not, he, he doesn't go to practice. He doesn't go to work out because he can defeat it. He can win with his half, with most of his powers, you know, with his hands tied behind his back. He can also defeat it. So he took, by the time it comes to Mashiach, the Yetzirah from the wicked has been so, so small because they don't need anything, any little wind overpowers. So each, so each one will cry because, anyways, that's the Gemara regarding the Yetzirah. But what, for what, I just found that fascinating that it's, it's, it's worth discussing, even though that's parenthetical. But to our discussion over here, Mashiach ben Yosef is destined to die, and for him there will be this big, this big eulogy. Then the Gemara continues, skipping a little bit. Then the Gemara continues. Tadr Rabban, the Rabbana learned. Mashiach ben David she'asad lihi goles. Mashiach ben David was going to be revealed. B'meira b'yameinu, speedily nowadays. God says to Mashiach, this is Mashiach ben David, not Mashiach ben Yosef. Sha'al mimeni dover, ask of me something. I am, I, God, God tells you, ask of me anything. Anything you ask is yours. Even, even, even Achishverov didn't say that to Esther. He said to her, half the kingdom. He put a limit. But God says to Mashiach, anything. Shanemar, okay. 
it brings a pasuk. It's a pasuk in Tehillim, second Psalm in, in Tehillim, second Perik. Um, Hashem says to Mashiach, I gave birth to you today. Sha'al me many, ask of me the etnagoyimachlasecha. I will make the nations be your inheritance, meaning whatever you want. But here's the amazing thing. But now that Mashiach ben David saw that Mashiach ben Yosef was killed, Oimer he says to God, the master of the world, all I want is life. He can ask for anything, and he realizes, in other words, it seems simple level, he realizes in what kind of danger he's in. In other words, he realizes the concept that Mashiach, being that it's the final, final, final triumph of godliness, it's the purpose of everything, and based on the rule that what? That the more important something is, the more opposition it has. And how against Mashiach there has been always the biggest war has been going on against his neshama from the beginning of time, like I gave a class two weeks ago three weeks ago, called The Journey of Mashiach, worth listening to. How the entire lineage of Mashiach is fought, is fraught by the biggest, um, 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 by, the, by, by, the, by the most dangerous uh, and ferocious forces. And God literally has to sneak Mashiach in through the back door continuously into this world. He has to keep him so, has to trick the Klippas continuously. That's why Mashiach comes from the most darkest of situations. Like David and Bathsheba and you, you, Yishai and his wife is a, are disgusted over there, the story, and Boaz and Rus, which was considered a dark story, and Yehuda and Tamar, which was considered a crazy dark story. Uh, seemingly, Yehuda's hanging out with prostitutes, or he thinks he's a prostitute. And then before that, the Lot and his, and his, and his two daughters. I like the whole story from the beginning to the end. is so dark. And it has to be that way, because or else Mashiach can't come into the world. So, and, and, and as you see, the final battle is that the overpowerment, this is very, in other words, this is unbelievable that a, a messianic force in this world, a God-appointed being, a Mashiach, someone who's anointed by God, would be defeated by, by the Klippa. That's how strong the Klippa is. So Mashiach, based on that, says to God, when he sees that happen, he says, I'm asking you only to keep me alive. I'm asking for life. Chaim, and Hashem says, oh, you're asking for life. Your grandfather David prophesied already that that's what you're going to ask, and that's no problem. You're going to have that. Chaim actually, my first time there. Chaim that Mashiach will ask for life. but you've given. And this life that God gives to Mashiach, as we're going to see, is eternal life. Chaim That's what Mashiach is asking. He's asking for eternal life. So it's not just life. You know, keep me alive till Mashiach. No, he's asking for eternal. That's the Gemara. Now, I did not do a thorough research, and, I'm, and even if I would have, I didn't go and the Google, today they have not just Google, but you have in, uh, you know, uh, um, certain um, Seferia, you have also other, other uh, uh, um, online libraries that have the entire Torah in it. So you can do a search if you put in Mashiach ben Yosef, which would be cool to do, and get all the Midrashim and all the amazing Yalkut Shemaini. There's a certain Yalkut on, 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 on the, called Yalkut Shemaini. And over there, there is a lot of passages about Mashiach ben Yosef. They call him Mashiach ben Ephraim and the suffering and the pain that he endures and the war. It's just a lot, a lot. 
But this is the, the general gist of it is here in the Gemara and the Sechtasiyah. Now, this is such a pivotal and seemingly such an important element in Judaism, this concept, that uh, the Ramchal, for instance, Ramosha Chaim Lutzato, the author of the Mesilas Yesharim, and, and he's a huge authority on the on Mashiach. He wrote extensively on the coming of Mashiach. And he addresses the concept of Mashiach ben Yosef a lot in his writings. Kabbalists talk about Mashiach ben Yosef a lot. And the Vilna guy, the Gaon of Vilna, he's like huge on Mashiach ben Yosef. He's, there's a student who wrote a whole book, got the name of the book. I know Rabbi Mendel Kessin, who talks a lot about Mashiach, uh, speaks a lot of the concept of Mashiach ben Yosef and um, based on the Vilna Goyen's teachings. I want to address this from the teachings of Chabad Hasidism primarily. Because in Chabad Hasidism, there is hardly any mention of Mashiach ben and that's a mystery. Where is Mashiach ben Yosef in Hasidism? Chabad Hasidism is so, so, so um, Mashiach oriented, so directed towards Mashiach, and there's so much of Mashiach, but yet Mashiach ben Yosef remains a very, very um, um, hidden figure. It's mentioned a few times, but very, very little. And that is related to something else, an amazing phenomenon. And that is if you look in Rambam, Maimonides, when Rambam codifies the Geula and the coming of Mashiach, Mashiach ben Yosef is completely absent from the laws of Mashiach. Which is astounding. How does the Rambam just completely skip the entire concept of Mashiach ben Yosef in his codification of the coming of Mashiach, what we are to expect, what are the halachos of his appearance, which we discussed many times. No word about Mashiach ben Yosef. It's really interesting. How does the Rambam skip that? What happened to Mashiach ben Yosef? In that, the Rambam tells you the whole procedure. There will be a king. He will begin influencing the Jewish people. He will spread. He will. He will get the Jewish people to keep Torah and mitzvahs. He will fight the wars of God. He will begin, and then he will build the Beis Hamikdash. That's how we know that he's. Before that, we know we can. He's, he's the he's the presumptive Mashiach, and then he is the the uh, the Mashiach, uh, definite Mashiach. Once he builds the, the Beis Hamikdash, and so on and so forth. You got that whole procedure. How the Rambam tells you how it's all going to play out. And yet the Rambam doesn't tell us anything about Mashiach ben Yosef. Strange. Now, I want to share with you the Rambam. Where is the Rambam over here? This Rambam we've done many times. And the Rambam tells us about, and the, the, I'm not going to review this, the regular thing about Mashiach in the beginning of chapter 12 in the Laws of Kings. Here the Rambam says what Mashiach is going to do. Fine. But there is, in this 13th chapter, this is the last chapter in the book of Maimonides, in the book of the Mishnah Torah. So it's easy to find, the last chapter. In the, the second, second halacha. The Ramam over there says that there are certain elements about the coming of Mashiach that are a mystery. And we really don't know. Very vague. For example, Eliyahu Anavi, Elijah the prophet, he's supposed to come before. Or the war of Gog and Magog. The Rambam says there is a lot of Midrashic teachings about it, but there is a lack of clarity. Therefore, the Rambam says, don't get too invested in it. It's not the primary fundamental of faith. The war of Gog and Magog and Elio. We know vaguely, as long as you know the main principles of Mashiach is coming, which I told you earlier, and I explained and I told you earlier, that's what you have to know. The details of exactly how it's going to unfold and 
What happens first? Gog and Magog, Elio Anavi, this, that. The Rambam says these things we won't know until they will happen because there's various different opinions in the sages. And therefore, the Rambam says don't, it's, it's unclear. But, so even though the Rambam doesn't necessarily give you a very clear structure regarding the war of Gog and Magog and Elio Anavi and all this, the Rambam at least mentions it in his book. He does mention it. But Moshiach ben Yosef, he doesn't even briefly mention at all. At a word. It's really interesting. Now, we might say it's only Midrashic. Moshiach ben Yosef is only a Midrashic, like uh, kind of a, a figure. It doesn't have anything to do with Halacha. Which obviously you see from Rambam, but I'll share with you what Tosfos. Tosfos asked. Now, Tosfos is already Halacha. Tosfos is a commentary, a Talmudic, uh, a, a great commentator on the Talmud. So in the Sechtis Erevin, the Gemara talks about someone who makes an oath that he's not going to drink wine the day Mashiach comes. Okay, interesting story. A guy takes upon himself a vow. I will not drink any wine the day Mashiach comes. So the Gemara says he's never allowed to drink wine. Because Mashiach might come today. You don't know when he's going to come. What happens if you're drinking wine and today Mashiach comes up in, a, in 10 minutes? No, you're going to do that. So you, you, you've, you've violated your vow. So Tosfus asks the question, um, this is the people ask, am I also, why is it forbidden? Mashiach ben Yosef has to come first. When he says, I make a vow that I'm going to make on the day that Ben David bomb, the day that Mashiach comes, um, and we say he's not going to drink because, because Mashiach might come, I hold it. Mashiach can't come today because Mashiach ben Yosef had to come earlier. And as long as you don't see Mashiach ben Yosef on the horizon, you know Mashiach ben David is not coming. And it seems like Mashiach ben David doesn't come the same day. There's like a period of time in between them after Mashiach ben Yosef. And since you haven't seen Mashiach ben Yosef yet, so as long as that flag didn't go up, you can kind of, you know, you can hang out in the bar. Not a problem because, you know, Tosfus gives his answer according to Rabbeinu Tam. This is that when the guy said, I'm not going to drink any wine the day that Mashiach comes, it doesn't mean the day that Mashiach literally comes. He means the day that Mashiach could come. Any day that he could come, not that he will come. And therefore, even though Mashiach ben Yosef didn't come, but since technically Mashiach ben David hypothetically could come today, it's not a day that it's exempt from the coming of Mashiach ben David. That's that answer. But whatever it is, you see that this concept of a Mashiach ben Yosef is a serious concept. It's not a fable. It's not a, it's not a you know, a, a, some, it, it's a real thing. But Ramam doesn't mention it. Goyen, who's lived before the Maimonides, he's before the Rishonim, still the days of the Gionim, has a sefer called Sefer Amunois Videois, the book of beliefs and knowledge. It's, it's the basic structure of what a Jew needs to believe in. So Repsad Yudoyen, the, the, the tenets of the basic tenets of faith, Repsad Yudoyen has a Maimer HaGeula. He has a, a, a teaching of Geula that's dedicated to redemption, to our belief in redemption. Over there, he says and states explicitly that Mashiach ben Yosef is not a necessity that it has to happen. 
Mashiach ben Yosef is a possibility, but not a necessity. And kind of, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I'm not saying the exact words, but the idea is, if the Jewish people are not really meritous at the time of the redemption, and we need to go, and in order to speed up our merit, or in order to erase some of our guilt, some of our um, some of our uh, sins that might still be there. We need some further cleansing. So then Mashiach is going to unfold with the drama of Mashiach ben Yosef. Because Mashiach ben Yosef's war and death, which is going to cause a lot of suffering and pain to the Jewish people, that itself is going to bring about the last cleansing and zikhuch and purification that is necessary. Then we will need that drama to unfold. But if the Jewish people are meritous, then we can skip the Mashiach ben Yosef, the entire Mashiach ben Yosef, and hop right over to Mashiach ben David. And Mashiach ben David doesn't have that drama. It's more of a spectacular revelation of it. No one is going to fight him. It's not going to have that, that, that you're not going to have to deal with your leader being killed and so on and so forth. We can skip that whole period. Based on that, Rambam, we can kind of, you know, we can redeem the Rambam. Because if we accept that promise that Mashiach ben Yosef is not a must, so Rambam, when the Rambam tells us halacha of Mashiach, the Rambam is giving you the must. The Rambam is not giving you the possible. The Rambam is giving you what must be. So the things that he tells you about Mashiach ben David, that must be. He is a person, he's a tzaddik, he's a Torah study, a Torah scholar. He influences the Jewish people in a good way. He's a leader, he's influencing, he's fighting the nations and whatever kind of wars he's fighting, but he's he's overpowering them. Yeah, that all these things, Mashiach is a must. You can't have Mashiach without. But the Mashiach ben, ben Yosef drama, that eh, could be, but that's not, not a necessity, and that's why Rambam doesn't even mention. That could work. But perhaps what we want to do in this class, a little bit time that we have left, and in the upcoming class or two that I would like to follow is really, this is a fascinating subject. And really, once we get to see what this is, we will like open, like we will like stand there like, oh my gosh. Because we might have already been in seeing the whole unfolding of Mashiach ben Yosef in front of our eyes. And we might have just not paid attention to this, uh, to who and what it really was and is. But it really... Is fascinating. So, going back to this week's Haftarah, because again, why are we talking about this? Because in this week's parsha, we have the unification of Yehuda and Yosef. And as I told you before, that the unification of Yehuda and Yosef in this week's parsha represent not just a healing of the rift that there is, the war that there is amongst the Jewish people, but it also represents the 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 Shnei Hamashichon. Meshichim, the Hizchabros, the attachment of the two Mashiachs. Which means, because when we read the Nahuatl Torah, we read about, about, about Hashem telling, again, in the Parsha we see how Yehuda and Yosef come together. Yehuda steps up to Yosef. He forces Yosef, compels Yosef to reveal himself. But in the Aftorah, we said the opposite. But Yosef is the one who's like, comes out on top. But in the Parsha, in the, in the Aftorah, Yehuda comes out to be dominant. Because Hashem says that we take the two staffs, put them together, they'll become one staff. 
And it's Shevet Yehuda who will triumph. What you see in the Haftorah is a mystical concept. And that is that the two Mashiachs don't necessarily have to manifest as two people, but the two Mashiachs can converge into one person. And it can be two dynamics in the same human being, in the same Mashiach. It's first going to start off, as we're going to explore it, as a mystical concept of unification of two energies, the energy of Yosef. And that is a definite. In the spiritual dynamics of things, it's a definite that we're dealing with a convergence of energy because that's what Torah talks about. I will take Yosef. Now, Torah is talking about the people of Yosef and the people of Yehuda, but it's also talking about the leaders. And if there is ultimately two leaders, so their spiritual energies have to convert. So we can learn the spiritual energies converge by the fact that Mashiach ben Yosef is doing the work to help Mashiach ben David. And Mashiach ben David picks up the pieces after Mashiach ben David, Mashiach ben Yosef kind of uh, is defeated. So, but he accomplished so much. And Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David carries it over the finish line. You know, he's the one who completes the task. But maybe it's much more than that. Maybe it's that the two Mashiachs actually become one person. And then we'll have a whole different, a deeper understanding in this death and this killing of Mashiach ben Yosef Chas And what does this mean? And Mashiach asks for life. And he needs life. Let's understand this a little better. So first I'd like to share with you something fascinating from the B'nai Yisachar, which... I know I entertained you last week with the Bnei Yisachar on Hanukkah. So he doesn't fail to, the Bnei Yisachar doesn't fail to stun. He's just like off the charts. Great. Bnei Yisachar was Rebbe Tzviel Melech of Dinev, a great Hasidic Rebbe, the, the uh, father, the, the, uh, the um, patriarch, so to speak, of the Dinever dynasty, which today is either Bluzhiv, I, was, I knew the Blujava Rebbe. I learned in the Blujava Yeshiva when I was Blujav. I have two or three books that are signed by him. The old Blujava Rebbe he was like 92 years old when he signed it for me. Uh, he was a big tzaddik. He was an amazing, amazing person. He's incredible, miraculous stories about the Holocaust. If you ever read the book, Hasidic Tales of the Holocaust. It's very, very, very powerful stories of him during the war. Um, and uh, I knew him. And um, so... But he's, the dynasty of Bluzhev comes from uh, also Munkach. That's the more popular one. So Munkach and Bluzhev, these are all descendants and the continuation of the of the of the uh, Melech of Dinev. What people don't know, this is a, this is, this is a little a little thing, is like the most uh, intense Hasidim in Eretz Yisrael, what we call the Rabal Aralach, the Toldus Anur Rebbe, so the told us Aaron Hasidim in Yerushalayim, like in Mesha Arim, the Frum Sheba Frum, if you can say, <laughs> uh, of the told us Aaron Hasidim, the told us they all students of Rab Aaron of Ro- Aaron wrote. Rab Aaron wrote was a self-made Reb, meaning to say he didn't come from a Hasidic dynasty. He was a leader. He was a great Sadik. He was a great spiritual giant. And he had many followers who followed him. And he was uh, and he wrote many books. He was a student of the Blue Rebbe, not this Blue Rebbe that I knew, but his grandfather. 
So he kind of saw himself as a, so also from the B'nai Yisachar of Dinov. So that's another, it's not a, a bloodline, but it is a somehow very much influenced in, into, in any case, the B'nai Yisachar is just a, is a very enjoyable safer. And it is, almost every piece is stunning. So in Hanukkah, this is one of his passages on Hanukkah, in Mimer Beis, in a second Beis, in Ois Chafei, you can look it up if you have the Sefer B'nai Yisachar. So over there, he talks about this week's in the parasha, where it says, I'm going to surprise you because you have no idea where this is going. This is like really cool. Um, he, he's talking about um, Yehuda, Yaakov at the end of the parsha sends Yehuda to, to Mitzrayim to build a yeshiva. This, Yehuda, this is after Yaakov is already relocating his family. Yosef sent wagons. Yosef reveals himself to the brothers. He sends wagons. To pick up Yaakov, Yaakov is moving. God tells him to go down to Egypt, that he should go. He's on his way down. But as a forerunner, Yaakov sends Yehuda to go ahead and to establish a yeshiva. The Pasuk says, Yehuda goishna. He sent Yehuda to go down. Goishna. What's Goishna? Goishna is Goishen. What's Goshen? Goshen is a suburb in Egypt where the Jews lived. That was Goshen. For all the time that the Jews were in Egypt, they lived in Goshen. It was a very fertile land. It was a very good land. Yosef had arranged that that should be their land. So Yehuda was sent there ahead. And what was his purpose? That before the Jewish people come to Mitzrayim, there should be already a yeshiva there, a Torah study. And we know the Jewish people always learned. The entire exile, no matter how dark it got, they always had a yeshiva. But without a yeshiva, we have no, we have no durability. We have no sustaining power in exile. The Torah keeps us alive. So there was always a yeshiva. Even the darkest moments, Jews always studied Torah in Egypt. Who was the one who established the yeshiva? Yehuda. The Bnei Sashar says, why did Yaakov send Yehuda down at that junction? So he says that the Egyptian exile is a pre precursor to all the exiles that the Jewish people are going to be in. We know that there are four primary exiles, and they are the Babylonian exile, the Persian, and um, Madai, which is like India, Persia, India exile, which was the second exile, with a story of um, Purim unfolded, which is, the, which is really the latter end, end of the Babylonian exile into the beginning of the first temple. The Jews were still under Persian Rome. Then finally, there was the Greek dominance over the Jewish people. And last but not least, the Roman, the Roman um, destruction of the temple and the Roman um, oppression on Israel driving us, driving us and dispersing us to the four corners of the world. And we're still in that exile called Golos Edom. That's the final exile. Four exiles. Now, he says that the four exiles correspond to the four letters of God's name. The Jewish people are meant to manifest the divine in this world. Yudke Vavke, Shem's name. We are chelik alekai mima, we're chelik of Yudke Vavke, a part of the tetragrammaton. So corresponding and to negate and to struggle and to, to, uh, to give us an opportunity to transform darkness 
So we need to have darkness. So corresponding to each letter of God's name is another exit. But we know that on top of the four letters, the first letter is the Yud, and on top of the Yud, there is a little kutz, a little thorn. The thorn that's on top of the Yud is higher than the entire name. Is indicating an energy that includes all four letters. A simple oneness of God, a simple, the infinite light before it's divided into four different manifestations, which each letter represents something else. So therefore, there is one power that transcends all of them, and that was Egypt. Egypt was negating the root, the seed of Israel, the seed of God's name. The kutz I show you at the top of the yud. He says a, an, an interesting nekuda. He says that's why when we're going to read in Parsha Shemos, it says vaya kutsu mipnei b'nei Yisrael. Simply, it means they were disgusted from the Jewish people. The Egyptians were disgusted by the immense um, population growth of the Jewish people. And what's the word it uses? Vaya kutsu. The word kutsu is the same word as kites, because they are the antithesis to the kites, to the very little thorn on top of the yud, but we know the energy over there is so intense. That's why Egypt was, in a sense, the most difficult exile, the most brutal exile, very difficult. Then comes the four. Now, hear, hear, hear this. The four exiles, each one corresponding to a different one of God's names, I'm sorry, of one of the letters of God's name, also stand against the four dimensions of our experience. He says, he brings from the Maharal of Prague that we have four powers inside of us. One he calls Koyach Gufni, our physical power, physical existence. The other one is Koyach Nafshi, our animating spiritual, it's more of a spiritual power in us. One is a koyach sikhli, he says, an intellectual power. And the, and the highest one is a koach, he says, that is, is, is kolel and includes all these three. How does he call it? Koyach sikhli, I'll tell you what he calls it. Give me a second. It's an interesting, huh? He calls it koyach hakol, a nefesh The fact that we can speak, it's really higher than the, than the seichel. It's higher than our intellect. These are the four powers. So he says these four empires, each one was uh, um, um, the, the, the Babylonians were the antithesis to the power of the nefesh, of the, of the soul, the lower level of soul, the soul of Israel. That's why they destroyed the temple, which the temple is where we kept our nefesh clean. Because through sacrifices, what did we do through sacrifices? We kept our nefesh holy, intact. So the power of, of, of Bavel that destroys Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, they destroyed the base of Mingdash, they are negating the what? The nefesh of the Jewish people. The, 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 the Paras and Madai, who wanted to kill all the Jews physically, Haman, Haman, that's that's negating the the the, the power of the body of the Jews. The Yavan, we know that Yavan represented what? Intellect. They challenged the Jewish mind. They had all they had Greek philosophy. 
and they wanted to contaminate the Jewish, the Jewish, the holiness of Judaism. We just celebrated Hanukkah. They wanted to fight against our our mind, the godliness of the of the of the Torah. Torah is our light, our intellectual light. They wanted to negate that. That's Yavam. Finally, the highest power is the power that includes them all. And that's the power of Edom, which Edom fights this higher power of the Jewish people, which is really all three together. That's why he says when you take a look at Edom, here's amazing, in our last exile, the first thing the Edomites did, the Romans did, was they acted like the Babylonians. They destroyed the temple. So they knocked off our nefesh, our soul, because that's where we bring karbonos, and karbonos is where we rectify our nefesh. Next thing they did was they brutally murdered the Jewish people that the Romans were doing. They were killing. You know how many Jews were crucifixed? You know how many Jews were strung up? Jews were murdered in the most brutal way. Thousands, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of them were murdered. That's that's the that's the Haman element in, in Edom. It has all three. Finally, he says, today's later, in our days, he says, they're challenging us with all the sciences. And how many Jewish people are falling astray, which have remained loyal to Judaism. But once the Enlightenment started, how many Jews were swept into the, into the modern world and gave up on their Jewish beliefs? So that's the Yavon element of Edom. They have it all. That's what it says. Now, he says, the word Goshen. Now, since Mitzrayim is the source of all these hymns. Since Mitzrayim is the source of all. So Mitzrayim had it all. That's why we lived in Goshen. Goshen stands for the Gimel. Hold on over here. The Gimel is for Gufni. The word Goshen. Gufni, which means our, our body. The Shin from Goshen is Sichli, Seichel, the intellect. The Nun is Nafshi, the Nefesh. And the He is Hakol. Goshno, it's, the, it's Edom, which is against everything. But these are the four forces. Now he says, the reason there are four is because there are four directions. What are the Jewish people all about? The Jewish people are all about the center point that unifies all four directions, that unifies all of existence with the oneness. They represent each, each direction going off on its own, not wanting to submit to the singular unifying element of godliness that unifies is the center core of all of existence, to surrender to the purpose, to the meaning, to the soul of all of creation, that there's purpose and meaning and godly, and everything is harmonized in one unified whole. Each one is pulling in a different direction. So the Yidden, the Jewish people, are Havaya. And what's Havaya? Hashem, Yud, Kei, Vav, Kei. It's four letters, but it's Yud, Kei, Vav, Kei, Echod. It's Hashem, Echod. It's all unified. They stand against it. So watch this amazing thing. Wait, wait so I'm going to get to that in a minute. Hold on, hold on. I'm going to get, I'm get, I'm getting to, the, to this wild idea. So follow along. So we got these four powerful dynamic forces of Golos. It's all in Mitzrayim. That's why the place that we lived in Mitzrayim is called Goshen. So Yaakov sees this. Yaakov knows that. 
So Yaakov is looking ahead. Yaakov, because he has he has Ruach HaKodesh, he's able to, he has distant vision. He sees, he has prophetic vision. He sees thousands of years ahead. He sees that when we're going into the first exile, we have to already assure the final redemption from all four. The exit from all four. And he knows that the final redemption is going to come through two powers, Yehud and Yosef. Yaakov is going to bring in the heavy guns. He knows he has to ro ro roll into Mitzrayim before he can even take on the before he's going to take on the Klippas, all five, all these Klippas, the, the Mitzrayim that's the source of them all, and then and then these four powers. In order to take them on, he needs to bring in the big guns, which are Yehud and Yosef, and they have to come together. So that's why Yosef was there already. Before the rest of the family comes in, he sends Yehuda to go meet Yosef so that Yosef and Yehuda together can be there as their Kabbalah Spanim, as their welcome committee. Because with those two powers unified together, we're going to exit the exile. It's the, and he says, it literally, this is the unification of the two Mashiachs. The Yisachtus of, of Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David in these two people. Now watch this. Gimel, Shin, Nun, Hey. Let's make the gematria of it. Shin is 300. Nun is 50. Hey is 5. 355. Gimel is 3. So it's 358. You should know that gematria without me having to tell you. 358 is Gematria Mashiach. Because Mashiach is the triumph over the four exiles. Of all four of them together. Goishna. Goishna is Mashiach. Why? Because the same 358 is also Gematria Nachash, the snake. Because Mashiach conquers the snake. The snake are the four powers. Yeah, the snake are the four powers of the, the snake is what wants to, is the antithesis to unity. The snake wants to divide the four directions to keep. And that's what the snake is, the force of all four of all four powers, 358. Mashiach is also 358 because Mashiach is the conquest and the unification of all these four elements. And who does he send? Yehuda. Because Yehuda is Yud from all the Shvatim. Yehuda's name is Yud K Vav K. It's got the four letters of God's name, plus the Dalid. The only thing that's extra there is a Dalid, because the Dalid is the four directions, the four corners. That's the four Klippa, the four forces, the four powers of Klippa that that represent the entire the entire um, of dark forces of all of history that we are that we're that we are working on conquering is all. Yehuda is the power. It's Mashiach. Mashiach comes from Yehuda. But with the assistance of Yosef. That's together Yehuda and Yosef. We're to Goshen. That's with, isn't it amazing that we stayed in Goshen the whole time? By living in Goshen, we were really living the four exiles already there. Because Gimel, Shen, Nun, He is the four exiles. We were living the four exiles. And we were connected to Mashiach already. Now why you didn't think of it and didn't jump up before I said it? I don't know, but you should have all said it. This is all hinted to, he says, in the dreidel. What are the letters of the dreidel? Gimel, 
Shin, Nun, and He. And they're written on the four sides. And on the bottom of a dreidel is the center. That's the Jewish people. That spins. That's the center. That's the unity. The four different fragmentations are the Gimel, Shin, Nun, and He on the different sides. And we play the dreidel on Hanukkah because Hanukkah, I mentioned this in the last year, Hanukkah is a preparation for Mashiach. It's Mashiach exercises like we spoke in last week's class. So on Hanukkah, we're getting ready for the conquest of all of it in the Gimel Shin Nin Hei, where, where, where we're spinning it. And ready the spin means it can spin and spin and spin, but in the end, the whole world is spinning and spinning. and spin. It's all the Mashiach spin. The whole story is all the Mashiach spin. But the interesting thing that he says is that's why he says this old ancient custom of spinning a dreidel was a dreidel of wood. So if you go back home, you can take all your other dreidels and throw them out. The real dreidel, he says, it has to be a wood dreidel. Why a wooden dreidel? Because the dreidel represents also Yehuda was sent to Yosef. There's Yehuda and Yosef. And when you look in the Haftorah, what did Hashem, the prophet, say to Yechezkel Anovi? Take two pieces of wood, one wood represents Yehuda. It's written on it, Yehuda. The other one is written on it, Yosef. Unify them together. Turn them into one. That's why he says the dreidel was supposed to be a wood dreidel. And then when you have the, the, the Goishen. Oh, by the way, he says. I didn't know. It's a good one. Moshiach, 358. 358 is also Gematria. The exact gematria. Hashem Melech, Hashem Molech, Hashem Yimloch. Without Lo'elon Vod, I think. Um, I think so. Yeah, Hashem Melech, Hashem Molech, Hashem Yimloch. All these three, is that's the Malchus of Hashem on all four directions. In any case. So this is an idea of the unification of these two powers. Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David unifying. Now, I will continue most of this next week. This is just literally an introduction into the subject. But what I do want to say is just to bring a little bit more of the notion, which I mentioned earlier, that um, the concept that we see these two individuals as two dynamics, two different people, there's a lot of sort. There's a lot to build on. Again, I am going to say that the whole concept is a very vague, mysterious concept in Torah. But there is a lot in in Jewish literature, rabbinic literature, Torah literature, and mysticism to use as a foundation that we're not dealing with two different people, but we're dealing with one individual, and these two dynamics flow into one Hashem. So one is from a passage in the Zohar. The Zohar says over here, this is in the beginning of Zohar, in Bereshis. Oh, I mentioned this over at the beginning of the class. The Zohar says. This is a passage in Zohar, Daf, Chof, I think Chof, hey, yeah. 
the secret of the matter is we're talking about the blessings that Yaakov is giving to Yehuda, not to Yosef. And he tells him, a, a tribe will not depart from the tribe of Yehuda, a ruler will not depart from the a ruling power, will never, never end from the tribe of Yehuda. It's referring to Mashiach ben David. And a lawgiver from his feet, that's Mashiach ben Yosef. But you got to say, hold it. What's Mashiach ben Yosef doing between the feet of Yehuda? Yehuda is the, is, is, is the father of the tribe of Yehuda, not of Yosef. Mashiach ben Yosef means he's a descendant of Yosef. If Mashiach ben Yosef is a descendant of Yosef, so what is he, what is he doing in the blessings which, which Yaakov is blessing Yehuda, that he should never, that the, ruling, the, the, the rulers and the kings should always come from him. He will always have the power. It, this doesn't belong to Yehuda. Mashiach ben Yosef belongs to Yosef. So this is not an explicit, but pretty much a, a strong statement that you see that Mashiach ben Yosef also belongs to, to Yehuda. How do we reconcile that he's called Ben Yosef? You have to say that he's also technically a grandson of Yosef. He'll be a grandson of both. But he belongs to Mashiach Ben David. He's not a separate entity. That's number one. Another interesting thing is in the Holy Ari. In the writings of the Arizal, in, the, in Priyets Chaim, in Perek Yutes, The Arizal in Priyetzchaim Shara Amida. This is there's a certain portion in in Arizal where he gives you kavanot. He gives you meditations to have during Shmona Esrei, kabbalistic meditations. So on each blessing of the Shmona Esrei, he tells you what are the mystical things to have in mind. Listen to this phenomenal passage. On the words in one of the blessings we say is we use Shalayim Irchah Berachman Tashem to Jerusalem, your city with great Mercy, you should return. So this is Reb Chaim Vital writing. Okay, he's a student of the Ari. He's writing. He says, Our teacher warned us very strongly. When we went to the grave, to the tombstone of Shmai and Eftalion, you remember who they are. Shmai and Eftalion are the, are the teachers of Hillel and Shab, the great Masters of the Mishnah. So they studied by Shmai and Avtalia. So the Ari, we know the Ari lived in, in, in Yitzvat. Most of the grave sites that we know today, who's buried there, after the Jews were, weren't there for such a long time, how do we know, like, and all these, so much was destroyed. Markers, how, how do they know who's buried where? It's, it's amazing. The Ari, who lived 400 years ago, had incredible, incredible GPS, spiritual GPS. And he literally would tap into his GPS, where his Rebbe Tarifon, or he would just walk somewhere and he would pick up the Wi-Fi of these sages. Me and you have no clue. We can go there and even after we know and not tap in. I mean, spiritually, hopefully we are, but have no conscious. But he immediately knew. Here was this one, here was that one, here was that. And he, like, 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 I'm talking about people who lived with like 2,000 year differences. Like he was, he was able to, this is Shimon Ben Yaakov is buried here and this is a sage from it. Like, he had an amazing, he, he knew who was buried where by simply either he can see the souls 
or he just had he he knew their energies. Anyways, so when they went to Shmaya Naftali's grave, he warned us there. Why over there? I don't know. Shanaske b'chol tefila b'tefila. Whenever we pray, when we say the chisay David Avdecha, the throne of King David, our kavana should be sheyichiyem Moshiach ben Yosef. That Moshiach ben Yosef shouldn't die; that he should live. So the Arizal is telling the students that when you say the chisay David Avdecha, the throne of David, meheira tochen, that where's the throne of David? David is Moshiach ben David. Who is the throne of David? That's Moshiach ben Yosef, who supports Moshiach. So first of all, you see how close Moshiach ben Yosef is to Moshiach ben David, is that he is his throne. And we're saying that when you're dominating for Moshiach ben David, have in mind that Moshiach ben Yosef shouldn't die. Armilus Arasha. Armilus, this wicked guy that I told you in the beginning, who's supposed to be the one who kills Moshiach ben Yosef, should not kill him. And, and, and Mashiach ben Yosef is called Kisei David. And this is the secret of Chaim Sholmumcha, that Mashiach asks for life. Interesting. Even though we said the Gemara says that who's asking for life? Mashiach ben David asks for life. The Arizal is saying that the secret of Mashiach ben, that, that Mashiach is asking for life is regarding Mashiach ben Yosef, who we can daven that he shouldn't die. In other words, this that it's decreed upon him that he has to die. No, you can daven that he shouldn't die. And here, the, here Rav Chaim Vital concludes with chilling words. He says, we, did not, we didn't get what he was saying. Because our master was a young man. He was 30, 37, maybe 33 years old. And Hashem knows the hidden things. In other words, Rav Chaim Vital saying, who is Mashiach ben Yosef? The Ari himself. When the Ari told us to daven that Mashiach ben Yosef shouldn't die, he was referring to himself. He was begging us to pray that he shouldn't die. And in our sins, we didn't get it. We didn't understand what's going on. And, and, and we didn't pray the way we should. And that's what happened. But it's just, what you see from here is just the closeness of Mashiach ben, ben Yosef to Mashiach ben Daven, how it like converges into one aspect. So the Ezra Hashem, Next week, we're going to talk about the difference between Yosef and Yehuda, and Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben Yosef, and ben Yehuda, based on some phenomenal teachings of Chasidus from the Alter Rebbe, the Mitla Rebbe, and from the Tzemach Tzedek, the first three fathers of Chasidus, in which the basic explanation is that Mashiach ben Yosef, you see, let me just say very briefly, Mashiach has two functions, to end the exile and to introduce the redemption. Like the Rebbe would always say, our generation is the last generation of exile and it's the first generation of redemption. The Rebbe would always say that. Our generation is the last generation of exile and the first So there's two functions to Mashiach, to do away with all the darkness and to empower the Jewish people to finish doing what they need to do in exile, and then to introduce the redemption. So where we are going with this is that Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David are really the same person. 
two energies. Moshiach ben Yosef energy is the energy that empowers the Jewish people to complete the exile and the empowerment to do the final work, to end, like the Rebbe would say, to, to, to finish polishing the buttons, whatever work that needs to be done. That power is Moshiach ben Yosef. It's not Moshiach ben David yet. And when, as the Rebbe says, the work of the refinement is over, the Rebbe announced in 1991 and 1992, the Rebbe said it very clearly a couple of times. The work of the refinement and the rectification and the purification and the elevation of sparks is over. And now we need to draw just Mashiach into the world. It's exactly at that point where the same individual is no more operating on the energies of Mashiach ben Yosef, but he starts operating on his own energy, which is the energy of the Davidic dynasty, which is the energy of Malchus, which is a feminine energy, not a masculine energy. Yosef's energy is a masculine energy. Mashiach's energy is a feminine energy. The entire process turns around at that moment. Mashiach is not dependent anymore on Yosef. The flow is not coming anymore from Yosef to Mashiach. It's, 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 we're starting to talk about eternal life, infinite life, Mashiach's life. It's a whole new dynamic. And that happens, the transition happens when the egg, when the last bit of exile, when we finished elevating the last spark and we turn around and start introducing Mashiach into this world. And what I would like to say is that both these phases, and I'm not just not me saying it, I'm going to bring you a lot of sources to this, has concluded already 30 years ago that Rebbe already turned us into the final stage. And you will see in the discussion, the previous Rebbe's name was Yosef, and the Rebbe was completely attached to him to the point that the Rebbe didn't move a finger without his father-in-law. Everything about his entire leadership was all the Rebbe der Shemer. You never saw in history two tzaddikim that were so bound up. There were many people. Yeshua ben Nun was so bound up with Moshe. But after Moshe died, Yeshua ben Nun was the leader. Yeshua ben Nun didn't hang out by Moshe's grave the entire time, by Moshe's uh, OL the entire time. The Rebbe is the only leader in the Jewish people who did not step away from his father-in-law, who stayed by his father-in-law's grave site sometimes, many times, many times, two, three times a week, fasting, standing on his feet, cold or hot for nine, ten, eight, nine hours, fasting and pleading and crying for the Jewish people nonstop. But everything was in Yosef's grave, by Yosef's, oh hell, not grave, but by Yosef's resting place. And the whole energy was an energy of Yosef, as we're going to see. But then it has to do with Hey Tavis, with the Yom Tif that we're having tomorrow night, which happened exactly the week of Yehuda and Yosef meeting together. And it was all about it was all about the previous Rebbe's library. It was all about saving Yosef. But as soon as that final thing was done, the Rebbe, this is my thought, as soon as the Rebbe fought that final and won that battle in Pashas Vayigash, it stopped being about Yosef and it started being the Rebbe's leadership, the true Rebbe's leadership as the Rebbe stands as a Rebbe for himself. It's a phenomenal idea, but I'm going to show it to you in the Sichas and in the talks, and you'll see amazing things of how the Rebbe started saying things right at that point that he never said before. For instance, here's a, a short little amazing thing. I'm just giving you little nuggets of what we will discuss at length next week. You see, the main link that the Rebbe had to the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe 
the Lubavitcher Rebbe's connection to the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe in terms of bloodline was through his wife. Was through the Rebbe's. The Rebetzin passed away in 1988. When the Rebetzin passed away, the Rebbe's hookup with the previous Rebbe kind of is not here anymore. I mean, he's a son-in-law, but he's a son-in-law through marriage. I mean, obviously, his relationship is through his daughter, who's married, so it's like that. You find an interesting thing. As soon as the Rebbe's wife, as soon as the Rebetzin passes away, the Rebbe does two things. The Rebbe, first of all, changes his entire conduct of Lubavitcher Hasidism. Everything changed. He stops Fabregans during the week. He starts only Fabregans on Shabbos. The style of talking changes completely. He's talking far more esoteric and short. He's not giving long, long... The Rebbe at that time also, at that time, one of the phenomenal things is Within a month from his wife's passing, the Rebbe introduces a new phenomenon to the Jewish people. That we should celebrate birthdays. And the Rebbe connected it to the Rebetzin's birthday. He passed away, there is a birthday. So with the Rebbe starts saying that it's her birthday, we should celebrate birthdays. And through her, the Rebbe introduced the concept that it almost became a new Mifza in Lubavitch, Mifza birthday. That's one of the... One of the minhagim by Adas Chassidim is, and from Lubavitch, it's spreading around the rest of the world too. People give brachas on their birthday, and no one ever did this. I mean, there was uh, at Sadiqim, there was always a birthday, but it wasn't a common. People celebrated birthdays as a secular thing, but not as a religious Chassidish idiot that I've introduced them. Why? Because when Moshiach ben, and another thing that Rebbe does is the Rebbe starts talking about Chayim Nitzchiyim, eternal life. And the Rebbe starts talking about the concept that we have to daven, that we should go into the time of Moshiach without an interruption in between. We should go straight into Chayim Nitzchiyim. That means the transition from the old stage to the new stage should not be with any interruptions. What's he talking about? Why is he talking about this idea? There shouldn't be any interruptions now. It should be And the Rebbe says to us that we should daven. We need to add life to Mashiach Tzedkenu. The Rebbe says. We need to, by, by, by saying Admasai, and he says by declaring Yechi HaMelech, by saying that we add life to Mashiach. That's what the Rebbe says. Suddenly, he says that a, week, a, a month and a half after the Rebbe passes away, he lays the foundation for this, that we have to channel life because the king needs life. The king doesn't have life. Why now? Why is he suddenly talking? I mean, if you're, if, you're, if you're very, 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 very coarse, if a person is very dense and thick, you say, well, he saw his wife died. So he's realizing, you know, he's getting old, kind of. And that's why he's saying that. That is a channel for, for the divine. Why is he suddenly telling us to doubt it? That there shouldn't be an interruption. There shouldn't be an interruption. There should be one flow. Because we're going to see next week. It's precisely when the work of Yosef is over. That Mashiach is a very great danger. That Mashiach ben David is a very great danger. Because all the life to, to Mashiach ben David comes from Mashiach ben Yosef. In the beginning. Yosef flows his energy into Mashiach ben David. And therefore, 
is okay. But once he's disconnected from Mashiach Ben Yosef, in the sense that that Kufa has ended, Mashiach now doesn't receive life from Yosef because he needs to discover his own life. And his life is eternal life. Mashiach Ben Yosef, you'll see from the middle of the Rebbe, Mashiach Ben Yosef's life is limited. Yosef's life is limited. Only Mashiach Ben David achieves absolute oneness with God to the point that he has eternal life and he leads us all into eternal life. That's why it's exactly at that point that the Rebbe starts talking about Chayim Nitzchiyim, about eternal life. Before that, he doesn't mention it. And he's asking, and when he's asking us to daven for eternal life, and when he's telling that to us, I can't help but get the chills that the Arizal is telling his students, daven when you say this, and they say, oi, we forgot to daven. Afterwards, they say, oi, we forgot to daven. But in our case, as we're soon going to see, it's, it's, it's different. That's what we're going to see, Pezo Sashem. I'm going to leave most the, the, this whole discussion for next because it's a fascinating idea of the of these two energies, how they make their way, the two the two the two jobs, and as we're going to see that this is this all I'm trying to do is shed light into elements that should have been noticed already in the last thirty years. We should have opened our eyes to see certain things. Sadly, the Golos has confused us and really, really submished us. And I believe that we're living at a time now that we can sort things out and start seeing things with clarity. So we shouldn't have to wait till my Monday class next week. But way before that, already we should be dancing with Mashiach Tzadkeinu in the third base of Migdash. With Yosef and Yehuda and Yaakov and the Arizal and the Arachayim and the, as you mentioned earlier, and uh, the Bnei Yisachar and the uh, and all the other uh, tzaddikim and all those that we mentioned today uh, in everlasting joy and happiness. And the Rambam and Reb Sajid Goyen, who else did we talk about today? And Tosvos and Rebbeinu Tam and uh, who else did we talk about? <laughs> yes. Okay, Bezos Hashem. More to come, much more to come on this, Bezos Hashem. Stay tuned for next week.